Guys, this is Person About Town, and today we're in a place that I love, but you're going to hear more about it from this guy. Hi, I'm Will Noonan, comedian <laughs> in person. Yeah, okay, good. Uh, if you hadn't said that, people yeah, wouldn't have known. They wouldn't have known. All right, so tell the listeners where we are. We are at Nick's Comedy Stop. It's like a comedy club in Boston. I think it's like 35 years old or 36 years old, and um, it's my favorite place <laughs> in all of Boston. So how did you start out coming to Nick's? Well, like, it's weird, because I started doing comedy in New York, and then I moved, but I grew up in Boston, and I moved back to Boston when I was 26 years old, after moving away when I was, like, 18, and I was like, man, uh, I've been doing comedy for a few years, and I was like, I pretty much had, like, my choice, I was like, I don't know anyone in Boston, so, like, I'm, where am I going to, like, set up my little, where am I going to, like, plant my roots? And I always kind of had, like, a boner for Nick's Comedy Stop, because <laughs> I grew up in Boston, yeah. And there's, right now, there's, like, a huge hotel next to this building, the W Hotel. But that was never there until, I mean, like, six years ago, seven yeah. years ago. And that used to just be a parking lot. So anytime you drove into Boston, you'd hit the intersection right there and, like, see Nick's Comedy Stop. So as a little kid in the back of, like, my parents' car, even, I'd be like, you know, bars, restaurants, everything's the same, yeah, liquor yeah. store, McDonald's. And then there was this one sign that had a stop sign on it, it said comedy, it had like d dudes' names, and I was like, I, even as a little kid, I was like, something's going on there that's like wicked cool and wicked adult, nice. and like, I want a piece of it. And it got, I remember, this is something I always tell the guys that own this place, and I've said it before, but like, I used to skateboard around Boston when I was a teenager, mm -hmm. and many times we would come down this street, and like, I'd like, hang back a little bit, let the other guys go ahead, and I would go to the doors in his comedy shop, and I would open, back then they just had a chain on the doors, they didn't even lock, so you could open the doors like, and get like three inches, you get like three or four fingers in there, and I would stick my nose in, and like inhale the smell of like, this comedy club. Like cigarettes, you know, booze, just like, old stale perfume like I was just like a 14 year old on a skateboard like something like I same feeling as as when I was a kid I was like cool shit is going down here I want to be a part of it and uh so that's why like when I finally became a comedian and came back to Boston I was like I want to go to Nick's like and now like I lucky enough to headline this club and I've recorded an album here so it's kind of like when you were like what's your favorite place at first I was like Castle Island because I go there all the time yeah but then I was like, if I really had to f pick my favorite place in all of Boston, it would be Nick's Comedy Stop. So wait, how old were you when you decided comedy was something you were interested in? It was, def well, interested in, like, I can't even remember. Like, right. I was always, like, a fan. Mm -hmm. But I just always, I don't know if you had this experience, but I just thought it was, like, so, I thought it was, like, how do you even become a comedian? Like, yeah. and I always figured it was just something, like, being like an undertaker, like your dad did it, or like your friend, like it's a business, like you fall into or something. Yeah. My thing growing up was like, I, I kind of wanted to be a comedian, but I didn't know how to do it. So I was like, I think I, I'll be an actor because that's like as close as what I can be. Right. And then um, it wasn't until I was, I mean, even when I was in college for acting, I, on my weekends, I would go watch stand up. I saw Bill Burr and Patrice O'Neill like before they were famous yeah. all the time. Like, you know, like, I knew them as, like, the way people could probably go to Boston shows and they see me, like, at almost every one because yeah, I, yeah. I do, like, whatever I can. That's how it was. It was, like, anytime you went to a comedy club in New York between, like, 2001 and 2004, you're probably going to see Bill Burr, Patrice O'Neill, uh, Neil Brennan, 
all these guys that ended up becoming yeah. huge stars later, Jim Norton, and at the time, Jim Norton was kind of big, but at the time, like Bill Burr and Patrice O'Neill, unknowns. Yeah. And uh, I'd, see, I'd seen them in rooms with like five or six people with my acting school friends, and I still, at the time, I did have that feeling like, oh, I'd love to do this, but at, the, at that time, I was like, I've chose acting, <laughs> like this comedy thing, is so, like my acting school was actually next to New York Comedy Club and I would see the comedians hanging yeah. out and it was like watching pro baseball players. Like I was like, those guys are just <laughs> so far removed from me. Right. And, and they were old, comedy just seemed older back then. Like it seemed like a, like a manly pursuit of a guy, a white guy in like yeah. their 40s or 50s. Like they were all, Nick DiPaolo was like the quintessential comic and yeah. I was like, I'm not him. Yeah. So, uh, but anyway, I was trying to be an actor and it wasn't working, I got a job just emceeing like general events like yeah. fucking work things for people sometimes uh wet t-shirt contests like bar contests <laughs> i got real into that line of work right i would like chugging contests stuff like that and i'd be that guy like you know you see like videos from spring break and you just hear a voice in the background that's like all right and now like smash mouth ladies and like I, that was me like i was okay. the voiceless douche off in the corner it was like getting people pumped and uh, that led me into karaoke hosting, which was four hours in New York City hosting boring karaoke shows. Like they would be hot at, you know, they'd have like hours where it was like bang, bang, people go, and then hours where no one would sing, where I'd have to kill an hour on the mic. Right. Like, you know, I'd be able to play a song here and there, but I pretty much had to talk to, yeah. earn, to earn my money. And I developed a stand-up act doing that, and people, we're like, uh, when can we, like, when are your weekend shows? We want to come see one of your real shows, not these karaoke shows. And I was like, oh, shit. Like, <laughs> yeah. So then I tried it, and when I tried it, I was like, it was like an Oprah Eureka, yeah. like, holy shit. Like, I loved acting, but this was like, I, I was like never so happy as when I did stand-up, and that was almost 10 years ago, and it was like a foot on the pedal since then, pretty much. Mm. That's it? Nice. Yeah. So do you think that like your experience as an MC and working as a karaoke host allows you to deal with like drunk? Yeah, I think it was, I think it's like, I think I had two huge advantages that, that a lot of people don't have. I've been through the ringer. I was a child actor. I'd done like. Really? Yeah. I didn't. How do I not know that you were a child actor? Well, I wasn't like a super successful one, you know, so that's why. Like, because I didn't do anything that like lasted. I just did like a couple commercials. I did a lot of theater that I wanted to do, you know, right. like, so I pushed myself into it. So did a lot of theater, both school and community. Yeah. And then, uh, you know, I was always auditioning for stuff, like, uh, since I was about 13 years old. And, uh, what kind of roles were you doing as a 13-year-old? You know, the first audition I ever had in my life was for the movie Rushmore with uh, Bill Murray. What? Yeah, yeah. Did you, did you, like, meet anybody? No, I didn't even get very far in that process, but that did get me into the, like, it got me seen by casting directors and got me into, like, the that world because it was, like, I had a good audition as far as, like, I was weird and I was, like, not nervous. I kind of cracked some jokes and stuff, and they were like, wow, this kid's kind of, like, precocious. Uh-huh. So I, that was, like, the beginning of me auditioning a lot, like, teen stuff, like smoking, anti-smoking ads, ironically. Uh, and that led all the way up into 18 when I went to New York. So in New York, I was doing theater and stuff. So, yeah. so I wasn't, I, I was already, by the time I was 19, I was used to being on stage for, like, 90 minutes yeah. straight. Like, my high school plays were, like, that long. So I was kind of, like, a lot of comics can't handle being on stage for five minutes. So that was gone. Yeah. And then the drunk thing was, like, yeah. Uh, Mike Dorval, who we worked with this weekend, mm-hmm. 
he, uh, he used to do karaoke hosting too. And he said the same, we, we both were like, yeah, it's, it's just like by the time you get to a comedy club, you're just like, you know how to shut people down. Yeah. You know how to like, it just doesn't throw you. Like, and with karaoke, you don't, have, you don't even have the barrier of the stage. Like they're coming up to you, handing you a piece of paper and money and all kinds of things. And you would have to l turn your back to them to, to work the machinery. Yeah. And in those moments, people come right up to you and drunk, people like grab you. I got hit, I got like my ass and balls grabbed, like all kinds of But okay. Like underneath or around from the front? Yeah, uh, often, probably usually from the front. What, usually? Yeah, but definitely from the back. Like, I noticed working in bars in New York City for four years, I noticed that married women in their 40s are some of the biggest sexual harassers <laughs> in the world because they got a green light. Like, no one's, I'm not gonna complain. It definitely doesn't feel good, but it's like, well, what am I going to do? Like, complain to my boss? Like, hey, she, she grabbed my balls. And they kind of give you a look like, what are you going to do about it? And then they're like, I'm going home to my husband in Long Island. I just wanted to grab, a, like, a new pair of balls, and I'm, like, six margaritas deep. And that kind of thing used to happen all the time. And even now as a comedian, when I take photos of people after shows, it's always, like, women of that age who, like, touch my ass and, like, do a little weird shit like that. Wow. Yeah. Have you experienced that? No. When you start like closing more shows and yeah. drunks are like, I want to take a picture with you. It's like a, I love doing it, but it's like a lot of weird things. Like sometimes they're sweaty oh, and yeah, like, like they thing. put their arm around you. So that oh. sweaty armpit goes right on. You can oh. feel it. Oh. And then other times, uh, like, yeah, they just grab, they get a little grabby. A little, like put their arm around you for the photo, but it's like right on your butt. Why are they, yeah. That's very straight. Like I, I totally get that. Like I totally even when, like me and Tim McIntyre went to a Celtics game one time, and we were like really close. And there was like a part of me that's just like when they're so close, you just kind of want to be like reach out and touch them. <laughs> you see people do it at pro wrestling yeah. when the guys walk by, they just tap them because they just it's like wow, they're real. And I think maybe after someone just stared at me talking for ninety minutes, part of it, and they've had like a bunch of drinks, yeah. part of them's like I kind of want to touch his butt. All right, and it did. You know, let's get out of here. So I've never, I don't, I don't touch happen. people. I know, I don't, and yeah, in my personal life, yeah. I'm not a super, I guess I'm, I don't know, like, I, I like seeing someone coming for a hug and we hug, but like an unexpected touch is, it freaks the fuck, yeah, 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 yeah. so that's probably a, yeah, that's probably something psychological, but an unexpected one, when someone just touches you out of nowhere, it freaks me the fuck yeah. out, yeah. It makes a lot of sense. Yeah, right. So can you describe for the people who haven't been to Nick's Comedy Stop kind of like what the vibe is in here now? Yeah, it's, it's kind of weird because it's changed. They, they redo the place like every couple of years. Really? And Nick's has been, like when I was a kid, it was just Nick's Comedy Stop 24 hours a day. Mm -hmm. That was during like the 90s boom of comedy. Those days are over. So since like a long time ago, like right after the 90s ended, this they converted it back into a full-time nightclub, right. uh, which is always like named Venue or Cure or like <laughs> Rewind. They changed that name too. Yeah. Um, so it's kind of like, it's weird. Like Nick's is like, there's nothing, it's kind of like your old high school getting renovated. Like you can't go back to your old locker. There's right. a lot of stuff here like super huge name drop, yeah. Bill Burr. Uh, <laughs> I met him and I, we were at the Wilbur, which is only a block away. Mm -hmm. And he was like, um, this, this is a really funny moment. Like, 
my friend was opening for him. He knew I wanted to like hang, so he yeah. was like, just come, just come hang out, right? right? So I'm like in the green room with just my friend, Dan Smith and Bill Burr. And uh, we're like talking and Dan's like, Will's really doing like the shit you used to do. He's doing all the same gigs. And he's like, oh, what's Nick's comedy stop like? And I'm like, I just came from there. I just did a spot and I'm like, it's pretty much the same. And he's like, I'd like to check that out. You want to go? And I'm like, yeah, let's go, <laughs> Bill Burr. And then uh, Dan's like, I'm just going to hang here. So me and Burr alone together walk from the backstage of the, and we're like crossing the street and people are in line around the block waiting for his show and they're doing like double takes like yeah. whoa what the fuck yeah so we come over here and it was like fucking funny like lamont and jenny and a bunch of other people were like hanging out inside the club and they outside the club and they see me like just walking down the street and they're like eh, it's noonan and then they're like it's noonan and bill burr <laughs> it was like what the fuck it was like mars you yeah. know it's like me and michael jordan coming in I would be surprised. so then we just walked in and everyone's like holy shit and then uh we came up here, and uh, the first thing he said was like, "Holy shit! Like nothing is the same. Like, like nothing." And I do. I, I was here once as a kid with my parents, cause um, my dad was a Boston cop, and they used to have like fundraisers here. Oh, okay. So I saw Sweeney here once as a little kid, and I remember it looking kind of like, kind of like what Dangerfields looks like. And I haven't been to Dangerfields. Like it still looks the same as 1988. Like, like you know, tables with like candles on them, yeah, and, yeah, yeah. and like a tablecloth and that's what it looked like when I was like a kid and it's gone through like right now it looks like Scarface's basement like it's like (laughs) fucking white yeah it's like a nightclub so and it's even moved temporarily to another location like Mm -hmm. underneath the Wilbur Theater and come back but like that's to say what it is is like wherever it is and whatever it looks like somehow it's always maintained the vibe of like it's my it, it's Nick's comedy stop. Like I feel like it's the only club in Boston that really compares to like road comedy and like really doing general comedy like or New York comedy. Like a lot of rooms in Boston can be catered like to that neighborhood that they're in. Yeah. This one is like you're gonna get a general sort of sampling of America, <laughs> like a jury. Right. Probably Boston centric, but like a little more like when this club is going, there's no place like it. It's like, it's just the best. So that's kind of like, if it's in a basement of another place temporarily or no matter how many times they renovate it, it's, to me, it still feels like a gritty, like fucking sweaty boxing gym of a comedy club. <laughs> you know what I mean? And that's ideal. That's what I like about it. I just, the vault had that too when it was open. It, it had been there for a while and it had that vibe, but like a lot of, like, <laughs> For a while, like, literally, you're using the same mic that, you know, like, Joe Rogan and Bill Burr used when they were coming up. Right. And now it's, like, it still has that. Like, even when I was with Bill Burr here, he, he had a reverence for the place. Like, he had, I mean, he walked all the way over. He was a fucking millionaire superstar. Didn't have to, but he wanted to just be here again. Right. And I think the reason why Rogan helped me promote and retweeted was because I recorded here. Like, the, they have a similar sort of... Thing for it in their hearts too yeah. and I came I went from MC to feature to headliner here so and I know like you just saw him kissing the waitress like I it's like a family I know yeah. Sammy I know Kate um, the way I when I came up from New York I didn't know soul mm-hmm. other than really Kyle Plouffe he was like I like Nick's it's kind of like my home I was like perfect I just started hanging out here every single weekend I didn't have a spot or anything and uh, one night maybe two or three weekends of doing that uh, the sound wouldn't work, and I was like, oh, I'm, I'm a karaoke guy. Yeah. Like, let me take a stab at it. 
I fixed the sound. They rewarded me with like some stage time, and uh, it was also kind of like a man. He's been hanging around. He helped us out. Let's give him like a hosting spot. Yeah. And I think. Uh, they were just like, and I just quit drinking then, so I was like, fucking, all I wanted, I was like, what do you guys need? I'll do it. I'll hand out, I had my own show here. I, was, I would stand on the street, hand out flyers, like, so we've all been together, like, a long time around here. So, like, a lot of, like, I'm lucky to have a home club that's, like, this much of a home. Right. You know, like, even today, I was like, I was just like, hey, can me and Kenise come in early and do it? And, like, can I do five? And it's just, yes, no problem. Like, it's, it's really, like... I think that's valuable yeah. when you're a comic, like to just have a safe place. And I've had some, I've had some the best times of my career here, and some really rough nights. <laughs> but like, I honestly feel more comfortable. I feel as comfortable on that stage at Nick's Comedy Stop as I do like on my couch at home. Nice. Yeah. So, can you give me an example of a place, and you don't have to say the name of it, but where almost the exact opposite is true, where you're just like, "What the fuck oh. is this place?" You know, it's weird. Like, I'm trying to think, like. There's nothing really like around here, but sometimes. Um, oh yeah, it could be anywhere. It doesn't yeah. matter. I know. I'm trying to think. Like, you know, um, it's more like I can't think of like a specific place, but I can think of like that vibe of. It's not really like a comedy show when you walk in. You okay. know what I mean? Like, like I've done those. Sometimes I do big things. Like I'll open for these big names, yeah. but it's, it's really like a corporate event disguised as like a comedy show. Yeah. So that would probably be like a situation when like, as soon as I walk in, I get like a little, just, just like the ever hint of sweat on my palms where I'm like, Oh, like this doesn't feel very comfortable. Yeah. But I don't know. Like as far as, you know, a club, like not for any reason, like it's so funny. Like I've had people come up to me at softball this year and be like, Oh, you hate the comedy studio, right? Like you hate the comedy studio. And I'm like, what? Fuck no. Like, I hope that's not like the rumor on me. Cause I don't have a problem there, but there is, there is a thing about like that room the physicality of it. And like the way you, the way you wait before you go on stage and stuff that I never like feel a hundred percent comfortable but it's pr also probably because I haven't like put in the hours there like I have here or someplace else but like if I had to like but that's even that's like a reach because I've had I like I have a pretty good time there but like it's fun I don't I don't do it a ton but that's like for no specific reason other than like it's just eat I'm just a lazy fuck and like I can't like I've already I've got like my four people that I get dates from and I just don't like need to hassle Rick too but but I do like it there but I do kind of get Especially when I first used to do it, uh, I would, like, just, I think it was in my head. I was like, oh, this is like an alt room and I'm not alt. And I would go in and be like, uh, like, everyone thinks I'm a bro or something. <laughs> and then after I got over that, I was like, this is a good time. But uh, I don't know about you, but I, I, have, I don't like to just sit and watch all the comics before me. I like, right. to, I like to walk around. I like to, like, kind of stick my head in and out. I like to be able to, like talk to somebody just to keep like myself occupied yeah. and sometimes at the studio I feel like I'm always standing in someone's way right because <laughs> you're in that back closet and yeah. you like if you are standing in there by virtue of your presence you are kind of in the way yeah and that's not anyone's fault and but uh and like or anything but it's just that's it's just a minor thing yeah. but like yeah I mean here it's kind of like one time I got nauseous on stage here because I had taken a aspirin because I had a headache mm -hmm. and then I drank coffee so like a bad combo yeah. and I remember being on stage and I remember feeling nauseous and I remember thinking wow like I'm so comfortable here 
that I don't even give a fuck. Like, <laughs> I could vomit on this stage and it would, would be ideal, but I could go on with my life. Yeah. Now, if I were at Levity Live in New York City or Gotham or maybe a casino, I'd be pretty mortified yeah. about vomiting on stage. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So, like, like I guess... I guess that's it. Like, it, I just feel like that comfortable here yeah. that, that nothing really compares, you know? Nice. Yeah. Nice. So. Blowjob to Nick's comedy. <laughs> well, no, you just pick your favorite place. Yeah. It ends up being a blowjob for yeah. places. Yeah, but I do. I love this place, sir. I really do. So you've been. And I'll be here uh, New Year's Eve this year headlining, so come on by. Really? Yeah, Who else is on the show? Uh, probably you, actually. Really? What? Um, oh, yeah. My own openers, and since you're, like, pretty much my new. <laughs> I was like, all these bookers are putting uh, Kinesis, and then I was like, and we always have good sets together, yeah. so we should keep doing it. All right. Let's do it. Good. You're happy? Yeah. I'm happy. I'm happy too. All right. Cool beans. Trash my, uh, I look like Harriet Tubman. <laughs> yeah, you can't do that. <laughs> yeah, just burn all of that. It's mine. Did you ever, did I ever tell you about the time, um... I had a, the Rosa Parks reference in a joke. And no. I had an agent who was like, almost fired me for it. And, and then she did end up firing me, quote, not for that, but like. What was it? It was, dude, it was like, it's a joke. I ended up, it was like in development. Yeah. But like Rooftop used to just videotape us at Motley's and like put stuff up. And you would have to like kind of fight to have it taken down. Yeah. So there was a clip of me. That like working on a joke. I mean, it got, it got laughs that night, but it was like not fleshed out. Yeah, yeah. And it was like this joke about firemen. I still do it, like about cops and how they eat like really shitty fast food. Like that's a brave thing they do that a lot of people don't know. Yeah. <laughs> it's like a really not a <laughs> like a deep joke. But I would I was like they eat tuna fish from Dunkin' Donuts. I was like that's like it's not true bravery. I was like it's not like Rosa Parks brave. But I was like it's like I don't know. It's like twenty percent. It's like 10% of Rosa Parks. Like, that was it. And then on the next thing, like, and it was, I mean, I'm talking lazy writing. I was like, brave, Rosa Parks. Like, 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 not like, not like going towards this. Like, it was like a throwaway reference. I remember, like, I had, like, Columbus and Rosa Parks. And I was like, Columbus just sounds not good. Yeah. Rosa Parks got a K in it. Yeah. I was like, here we go. (laughs) And then, uh... Didn't really think much of it. Didn't even like include it in the joke when it was finished. Right. But this clip was out there online, and she fucking flipped her lid and was like, she was a white woman, white Jewish woman, I think, from New York, and she was like, I'm gonna fucking like, ne- I'm gonna, we're, we're gonna get killed by college. You think I'm gonna send this to colleges? What if they Google you and see this? And I was like, what's the problem? Yeah. She's like, she go, I go, it's just, I'm calling her brave. She goes, I remember this exact. She's like, don't talk about Rosa Parks at all. <laughs> How is that helpful? I know. And I was like, I remember being like, I'm not long for this. And it wasn't. <laughs> she was like, I remember, she, it was, she was like, I can't book you. Like, but this was like a couple of years ago. She was like, white, straight men from Boston are not in, in demand right now. And I was like, I can't argue with that. Like, we kind of ran the show for like 10 years. So, I just, I'm interested in her thought process. Like, Oh, clearly the only people who should talk about this are black what people. What I really think it is is her best client is a friend. Of, her best client was a friend of mine who's yeah. a, who's a black male comic, yeah. and I think because he was her best client and the best of us, she just wanted us all to be more like him. Or was like he's getting the most work, so this is what people want. You know what I mean? Oh, I was like okay. he's getting the most work because he's the funniest. Yeah. But she thought, 
you know, she was a, a business person, not a comedy person. Right. So she was like, I mean, I remember it was it was a funny email because Corey Rodriguez is one of my best friends, and I was like. We like he complains. We would like have racial complaints about comedy to each right. other, and I was like, "Look at this one! I finally got one." <laughs> and how did he respond? He was like, "Oh fuck you!" Like he was like, "This means nothing, and I'm not getting any college work." It was funny. He calmed me right down. He was like, "He was like, yeah, that's what a well good like you're getting a taste of what I like. Like we already have a black guy on the show, you know. It yeah. was kind of like that for me. So I was like, whatever, yeah." I do. I still do colleges. It's like not doing colleges. It's like no skin off my back. Right? All right, cool, cool. It's just more fucking people mad at me for <laughs> saying Rosa Parks. <laughs> yeah, I still. I can't believe that someone would get mad at you for just referencing no her. College at all. kid ever did. It was. It's. Yeah. Ne- it never is. It's yeah. always the people like, you know, who think they control everything. Yeah. So. So wait, what's sorry? What were you doing? No, that's it. It's just stupid. I feel like I've said it too many times, but it was just one of the only times in my. It was one of like two times in my career where I've been like let go from something for like a crazy reason. Yeah. But it's that's show business, mm-hmm. you know. But uh, that's it. Oh. Um. Sorry. Uh. What I wanted to ask was, what's the weirdest? Because like in the past, I've uh, someone has come up to me after a show and been like, "Hey, this joke, you should tag it like this," and it's like someone who doesn't do comedy, and you're just like. That's a nonsense thing to say to a person. Yeah. Like, what's the weirdest thing you've gotten like that? Uh, it's usually hack, right? They usually yeah. just, like, hack up your joke. Yeah. Or you ever have, like, a comic who's, like, super hacky, and he's like, you know what you should do with that joke? Like, take your fucking <laughs> dick out at the end and, like, wave it. You're like, yeah, that's that's what you would do. Yeah. And I, I'll do that to John Paul sometimes, like, like John Paul Rivera. I'm like, you know what you should do with this joke? And I just totally like will noonify his joke. I'm like, and then the person has an accent and they do, and like and I just totally yeah. and I've seen comics do that to each other, so but yeah, I, I remember I remember a time when I first got up here and there used to be a sister club to Nick's called Tommy's. They tried to open it underneath Blue Man Group up the street. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, I really liked that because it was cool. You could do we would all do both. So it was like you would open there, feature here, or like guest spot wise, you just go boom, bang, up the street. Right. So like, I remember when I first got up here, it was first getting sober, my act was like still New Yorkish. My act was like very like, uh, like New York comedy can be a little darker and you can get away with it a little bit more. Yeah. And I was doing, uh, I really had never performed for crowds like I had, like you do in Boston. Like right. I'd only performed for like hip New York crowds. and. Yeah. The, and now I'm like performing for General America, and it was like, I had this joke about, <laughs> I had this joke about, fuck, I can't even remember it now, something about Magic Johnson and having AIDS, oh, yeah. like that kind of shit. Yeah. And then I, and then it was about something about women. It, it wasn't very good. It was something about like women, uh, white people and black people being on Family Feud, and right. and and the the white people and Puerto Rican people on Family Feud, and. The white people uh, answered questions differently from the Puerto Rican people. Yeah. I think the punchline was like J Lo was the same answer for both of them. I don't right. know. It was celebrity with a large trunk. Oh or, yeah. I don't remember. <laughs> I don't even remember. But anyway, this chick came up to me after, and she was like, you know, she's probably like thirty. She looked like kind of like an NPR listener, yeah. kind of buttoned up, kind of like librarian-ish. She definitely had a few glasses of wine, though. Right. And she was, like, really giving me a hard time about, like, this family feud joke. Yeah. And I was kind of like, I remember being like, it never happened to me before. Uh-huh. It wasn't like, 
a bit like uh, I wasn't necessarily proud of. That's always the worst part. Like when so, someone's like arguing with you about a joke, and you're like, "Listen, buddy, I don't even like it that much either." <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like it's it's fucking it's a placeholder. Yeah. Like I need to fill this time. And like, and uh, but then I remember she was kind of berating me, and I remember being like, "Wow, I better like, I better learn how to do this because this might be something that's happening more." Yeah. And I remember the. Ryan Cott, the booker here, was kind of like smiling, watching this all go down, because he knew it was going to happen. Right. I didn't. At the end of it all, she dresses me down. She calls me every name in the book, and at the end of it all, she's like, so, let me get your phone number. We should hang out sometime. What? And that's when Cott's like, ah. Like, he was waiting for it the whole fucking time. Everyone knew that's what was going to happen, and I'm sitting there, like, sweating, like, oh, my God, I'm finally offended somebody, and here it is. Here's my big dressing down, and blah, blah, blah. So, at the end, she's like, so, are you going to ask me for my phone number, or am I just going to have to give it to you? And I'm like, oh, my God, like, this business is fucking insane. Did you go out with her? Didn't go out with her. Okay. I don't want to go out with someone who doesn't get my shit. <laughs> no, you know what? I was, like I said, I was like six months sober. I didn't yeah. date for a year. There's like, they tell you not to. That makes sense. And, um, but believe me, no one was asking. <laughs> Other than her. Why? Why do you, just, you say that in like a very particular, like, of course. Like a, I was a mess. You know, when you first get sober, you're kind of like, I remember my doctor told me because I would go in I was really unhealthy when I quit like mm -hmm. very unhealthy my like actually having some liver issues even at age 26 yeah. so I had to go back for like regular checkups for like a month every month for like a year and I remember my doctor who is not he's old school yeah. like New England doctor mm -hmm. he would just be like yeah you're looking uh you're looking less scared you're looking less uh like shaky and wide-eyed like and that's kind of the vibe you're I remember walking into rooms in those early days and like even like a bank people yeah. just kind of give you a look like people are very sensitive to like something's just a little off right. with that person yeah. like uh, and I think even sometimes it's not even a conscious thing like uh, they say there's like pheromones people put out when they're when they're depressed and it's like a tribal thing where like you're like oh that person's de that's why depression can be such an isolating thing because you don't want to be with people and they kind of don't want to be with you either right so it's kind of like it's kind of a weird thing so i remember kind of i was probably a little bit in that zone then i was probably a little bit like whoa dating holy shit no because yeah. i remember that was really the that's really the hardest thing to do coming back to comedy wasn't that hard coming back doing everything was like I was like oh, I can do everything sober I did drunk mm -hmm. but dating is like even the most like non-drinking of people have a couple glasses of wine yeah. to just like relax right. so going on a date you know it was like it was like going back to high school and going on dates all over again for the first time Ugh. that was the, that was in kissing like going in for the kiss going in for the yeah. god I can still remember her name was Rachel I met her at the Burren and I think she only hooked up with me to get closer to Gary Goldman. That's terrible. Yeah, she mentioned Gullman like seven times on our date and kept bringing him up. And when she met me, I was with him. So I think she thought we were like, like besties. Well, like besties. Yeah. And to be fair, Gary like totally like was talking me. Oh, Will's going to be, he's going to be big. He's like, he's really good. He's like, he knew what he was doing for yeah. me. And, uh, and she was like really cute, and I God, I remember how scared I like. It was like being fourteen again. Like we're in her apartment, and like you know, it's obviously time to like. And I, it, it was like a paralyzed person slowly learning how to walk again. Yeah. It was just like that. I forgot all about that until now. Jeez. Yeah, that was. I mean, now it's kind of easy. Like now it's back to normal. Yeah. Like, it's seven years later, but uh, 
yeah, that was like, that was probably the toughest part. Can you imagine? No. Yeah. It's like even people who don't drink at all, like, like a little, little wine on yeah. a date. And yeah, it's just like being a, being in middle school again. But then you get over that and probably a better lover. Good. <laughs> you know? Uh, guys, you heard it here. Yeah. Will Noonan is now a better I lover. Love I don't, I don't fall asleep halfway through. My penis stays hard the whole time. You know, drunk <laughs> sex, right? I don't do that. Am I the filthiest guest? Uh, no, you're not, a, not even a little bit. No. We also have like a spin-off podcast where we talk exclusively about sex oh, okay. and like dating oh, and stuff. Oh, yeah, I'll have to have you on that one. Oh, oh, oh. Good for that. <laughs> I have a lot. Yeah, because now you're better. Yeah, but I went through, uh, I was a kind of a whore for a while oh. when I was in New York City and karaoke hosting. And When you say whore, what do you mean? Um, like what's the level of sexual activity well, that you think thing, pushes you know, it to hold? I used to kind of call myself the makeout king of the Upper East Side. <laughs> you called yourself well, that? Well, like not like because my friends, like a regular conversation. Who I worked with would okay. be like, "Oh, Noonan is like he fucks all the time," and I'd be like, "You guys think I fuck all the time because I make out in bars with girls all the time? So you assume we're going back to the place, but like nine, like not nine, but like a lot of the times it would end there. Yeah, you know." So I did a lot of that. Like, I just, I love making out. Who doesn't love making out? Uh, so I did a lot of that. But I, I don't know. I did, I did have a lot of, like, one-night stands and a lot of, uh, like, in-the-bar sex. And, uh, the bar where you were. I got away. I got, women threw themselves at me way more, like, 50,000 times more as a karaoke host than as a fucking stand-up comedian. I'll tell you that. That makes no sense no to sense, me. No sense. But it's all timing because my shift would start at 10. It would end at 2. And the bars in New York are open until 4. Yeah. It's 2 a.m. I'm packing my stuff up. Yeah. And then it's time to hang. So it's like last call. And you're fucked up. And she's fucked up. And it's like nothing's open. It's like, but we still want to hang and have fun. Yeah. It was like the easiest thing. If you can't get laid at 4 a.m. in New York, like you can't get laid anywhere. Huh. It's the easiest town. And, and it's also a town where... Women w are much more aggressive, like with the men. Than than Boston, you think? Boston, like fucking thousand percent. Uh, it's very like women are very uh, just. It's equal as far as like asking people out. Men ask women out. Women ask men out. It's like way more than up here. Like, like women never come up to me here. Like in, it's in New York, it's very common for a woman at a bar to hit on a guy. Right. Yeah, but up here, I feel like it's almost it never happens. I have hit on people more when I am in New York because I get the sign that like, hey, I'm not going to be weirded out if like you hit on me. Yeah. Not like a weirded out like, a, ooh, you're particularly weird, but just like, oh, I don't mind a woman making the first move. Not at all. And I think it's kind of like, maybe it's because it's such a big city and you're it's weird, you know, it's it, different rules anyway for everything. So it's kind of just like, or maybe it's just always been the culture there because it's, it's a Jewish town and Jewish <laughs> chicks are very, because I've dated a lot of Jewish <laughs> chicks and they all were the ones who came up to me and they don't fuck around, yeah. so maybe it just, because I do think that city is such a melting pot of, like, cultures, yeah. that, and everyone's stolen it. Like, everyone's stolen from each other. Right. Like, you'll meet, in New York, like, you'll meet, like, black dudes who speak, like, Italian dudes, yeah. and, like, <laughs> love, uh, you know, Jewish, like, delis. Like, yeah. they have all those things, so yeah. that's one of the things I like about New York. Nice. I'm going back in a couple of days, so I've been very, like, New York in my mind. Do you think you'll go back, not just for a couple of days? Yes. I think I will, but uh, I don't know. I'm going to ask Anthony Kumi if I can move into his compound. <laughs> Who's Anthony Kumi? He's like a big, um, 
Opie and Anthony. Have you ever heard of Opie? Yes. And he's Anthony from oh, Opie and Anthony. Wait, didn't he get in trouble for something? He did. He, okay. uh, he got in trouble. He got fired yes. from the Opie and Anthony show for he was photographing a, he's a photographer and is, as a hobby. He's photographing Times Square in the middle of the night. He's taking what he thought was like artistic photos of like prostitutes off in the distance. Yeah. One of the prostitutes did not appreciate having her picture taken. Comes up and like hits him, knocks the camera out of his hand. He's like pretty drunk later on and tweeting a, uh, very racist things. Like, which, like, let's call a spade a spade, right? Yeah. It's being racist. So then he got fired. Yeah. And uh, obviously regretted it. The girl who he made fun of, the girl who he was saying things about, doesn't even know this ever even happened. Like, and ne- she was never contacted yeah. or found or anything. That's what that's my. Crazy. That's kind of my favorite thing about the whole story is that like this this crazy thing happened and she just was in the wind, yeah. like yeah. never to be heard from again. She probably doesn't even know yeah. what what came of it. And uh, but anyway, he has his own show and I'm going on Wednesday. I'm kind of nervous about it, like in the sense of like I've never done a show where like controversial shit happens on it all the yeah. time. <laughs> and. Normally, I wouldn't give a fuck about that, but in the culture nowadays, it's like controversy is like, it's like, it does, you don't even have to do it yeah. for it to like touch you. Yeah. You know what I mean? So what is the type of controversial stuff that happens on that show? You never know. Like, people say fucked up shit on that show. It's kind of like Stern was in the old days. I'm, I'm a fan, so I'm like, I'm ready to, to like kind of jump in. Yeah. And I'm probably worried about nothing. But like, uh, you know, they've, people have gotten into like, very like everything SJWs hate rape race like they just talk SJWs about, uh, social justice warriors oh <laughs> you don't know that no cuz I, I i never i never acronym that <laughs> like I, I never <laughs> yeah well i've had to deal with them a lot and so i've i shorten it now <laughs> yeah i think that's that's a sign like if you have to deal with them with frequency, that yeah. is when you condense words. I was talking to a friend of mine who's a pro wrestler yesterday. We both got some heat in the past month from like SJW, so we were like uh, venting to each other. Right. So that's where that's why it like popped right out of my mouth because <laughs> yesterday we were like SJW. Oh my god, because we talked for like an hour and a half about how much of a bummer it is. Because we're both not even that fucking edgy or controversial, yeah. and we still get shit. Yeah, I got I got in a lot of trouble during the fappening. Oh, why did you get in trouble during that? Um, I put, a, there were so many of those photos came out, right? Yes. So I took Jennifer Lawrence, I took one of them, not nude, just her, and it was one, a selfie she took in a mirror, yeah. clothed, and I put my dates on it and just put it on Instagram, like kind of like, I thought it was funny, like, yeah. hey, here's these pictures, we're all pretending like we're not looking at, uh, I'm going to use one to put my calendar on, because back then I was putting on my calendar every right. week. And uh, because I was in a lacrosse commercial, a few lacrosse players follow me. And one of them who's pro and just decided, like, not cool, bro. And he's got, like, 50,000 followers. Yeah. And it was just, like, within, it was one minute I'm sitting there playing video games. And the next minute my phone's like, blip, 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 blip. Like, like, faster than the, the ring, t- the alert sound couldn't even end yeah, before yeah. it started again. Yeah, yeah. And it was, it was like, I had like a panic attack, like yeah. an instant panic attack. Cause I was like, oh my God, I'm branded as a, and it, even like my own fans were yeah. like, wow, well, I thought you were a little bit better than this. Like I was just like, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God. But then Joan Rivers died. Oh, you're like, thank goodness. She died like literally in the middle of it all. Um, 
of course I deleted um, all the shit that I like everyone was mad about. Yeah. So then I just put out my uh, I put out uh, Joan Rivers, not just a great comedian, uh, not not a, just a great woman comedian, but a great comedian and a, and a great woman. <laughs> Why did you do that? Because I had been getting crushed. I mean, first of all, I mean it. I meant it. I'm a huge uh, Joan Rivers fan. But I'd been getting crushed for, and people were coming to my page to, they were, they were pulling things from two years ago, yeah, yeah. tweets from two years ago. So I was like, let me put this right on top, let everyone know I'm not a fucking woman hater. Yeah. And uh, it, it did, it killed it. Okay. And plus just it not being, the fappening wasn't a story anymore. Yeah. So I kind of learned, just turn your phone off. When that shit happens, but it's like, I'm not famous enough for that kind of hate, and I still right. get it. Yeah. And this wrestler I know is not famous enough for it. He still gets it. Mm -hmm. Because it's a hobby to do that, too. It's like, some people do comedy, other people do policing the internet now, or policing comics. So it's like, I feel like these people who do it, they feel like they're changing the world, and it's a fun little thing to do from your couch for like five seconds to fuck with somebody or troll them or sign a petition to get them fired but they're not then they put their computer down and they go back to netflix like it's a person's life you know what i mean like you can really fuck a guy over by like if you're not right like you better make sure it's right i think i am between those two perspectives because i am a comedian and i'm like like someone's written an uh like a location or a venue based on my jokes like i can't believe you put this filth up there da -da -da -da. Um, but also, I am like, eh, well, should we say these things? Yeah. So, yeah, like, I feel definitely in the middle of those two things. You just made a very funny face when I said that about having, like, someone write a, a thing about me. Oh, because I was like, I can't, I can't believe people write venues about shit yeah. like that. Yeah. Like, it makes me, I can't believe people write venues after seeing stand-up. This Jim Florentine, uh, I opened for him here at Nick's Cop. This, this story I'm about to tell happened three feet from where we are right now. So he kills all weekend, like crushing. Like I'd never really, like the night we, the night this happened, he fucking undeniably killed for an hour. Right. Like really good stuff, really great show. So I'm a big fan of his. So like he would set up his merch thing here and I would kind of just like stand. Like, and if he needed a quick hand, I'd help him. But mainly I was just kind of like standing there just observing how he did this shit. And I remember there was this couple, they waited, they waited until everyone had gone through the line, until everyone had paid for like their CDs. And they're like, Jim, uh, we wanted to talk to you, you know, like some of the jokes you did, like your jokes uh, about women were like way out of line. And he's like, oh yeah? He's like, um everything else was okay though and they're like yeah we thought everything else was fine but we crossed the line with him he's like so when I was making fun of retarded kids like that's fine so you laughed at that but you won't have that you go alright let me tell you this uh, I got a website go to the website email me the things I'm allowed to talk about next time you come see me so I'll, I'll just make sure I cater show just to you and uh, don't worry about it just, just let me know what topics I'm allowed to do okay and the people were like all right, like, <laughs> fuck us, and they walked away. Yeah. And I remember being like, that's a good way to handle it. Like, he didn't get upset, mm -hmm. didn't even, like, really, you could see in his eyes, total calm. Yeah. It's probably gone it a million times. Yeah. But uh, I, I said to him, I was like, holy shit, like, handle that great. And he was like, oh, fuck those assholes. Like, he's like, why do they fucking come to a comedy show if, they, if they're those type of people? He's like, fuck them, I don't want people like that coming anyway. So I was like, Mom, it was a lesson. It was a big yeah. lesson learned, you know. I love Jim Florentine. 
I haven't heard of it. But I'll look him up. Check him out. I will. I'll go to his website. I won't send him anything. SJW. <laughs> oh, my gosh. All right. So we're coming up close to the time, also the time the show needs to start. Um, so last question I ask everybody. What is something that people who know you wouldn't expect? Like, what is something they don't know about you? Oh, man. There's a lot. I, I kind of I like to have secrets. Tell one. <laughs> um, I think a lot of people... I think a lot of people don't know that I'm like a pseudo Buddhist and that I, yeah, that I met it like for a couple, for a few years and that I've, like, that's a part of my life that I try and focus. I, I like, I do a lot of uh, self help type shit. I think people probably don't know that. Okay. Some of my podcast listeners might pick that up, but I never, like, never really wanted to talk about it. Uh, but yeah, I'm a little, like, I do stuff like that and I do feel like it's like, no one really, my buddies kind of know about it, but even yeah. then, like, I don't want to talk about it, and they don't want to hear about it, and it's kind of like a thing I like to keep to myself, but I think that would surprise people. Does that surprise you? That does surprise me. And uh, also, I like Alicia Keys. That surprises a lot of people. Why would that surprise? She's a great songstress. My music should, shouldn't, is fucking all over the place, right. and Alicia Keys, I just think, is always, she's always been one of my faves. Nice. But I remember, like, someone finding that shocking. I'm trying to think. I know there's another one, but uh, I have a lot of weird hobbies. People don't, you know. Name one. I get into like weird shit, and I get I get obsessed with it for like a couple months, and then yeah. I stop. Uh, What's your obsession right now? My obsession right now, like right now, it's probably running. I'm obsessed okay. with it. I'm obsessed, I'm obsessed with my times and like how much. Uh, like I I <laughs> I've been I use knee braces and I can't find them. So I've been running without them, but I noticed my miles are like a whole minute faster without them. So I'm like, what the fuck were those knee braces doing? Yeah. So that's kind of my obsession right now. But I was obsessed with pro wrestling for a while. I was obsessed with Pokemon for a while. I remember that. Yeah, I was obsessed with... Uh, well, I mean, I was definitely obsessed with acting when I did it for all those years. Yeah. But that was, like, that was more like comedy where it was like a legit thing. Yeah. But yeah, I'm a big fan of... Uh, Getting into something like really big for like a couple months, trying to learn it, yeah. and then getting out. I read a lot of books. I bet people probably don't think I'm a big reader. What if, what's the last book that you read? Uh, the last great book I read, because I've read some shit, but the last great book I read was Ready Player One by Ernest Cline. Oh, I've heard of that. Yeah, Spielberg's making it into a movie now, yeah. which I'm not surprised at all. Like when you read it, you're like, and then I found out it was like a screenplay that had been turned down. So he's like, "Fuck it, I'll make a novel out of it." Yeah. It reads like a movie, but it was that was like the last good, like really good book I read. Because most of the books I read are Buddhist literature or medi- meditation instruction. Yeah, sure those people are like trying to get started, trying to, uh, trying to hide their coats. Oh yeah. But uh, yeah, most of the stuff I read is kind of dry, like. Uh, and then the Buddha said, uh, like, "Yeah." But I like to listen to that stuff late at night when I'm, when I'm driving. I feel I feel like I feel like let's cut this Buddhist shit out. <laughs> or you can leave it in. I'm, come on, let me leave it in. No, no, absolutely leave it in. I felt I, when Tim McIntyre mentioned it on stage the other night, and I was like, oh, there's other secret Buddhist yeah. comedians. Yeah. But uh, yeah, it's something I really like dip my toes into. I think I'm not an anti-religion comic. Yeah. Like I don't, I'm not like I've dated Christians. It's tough. Yeah. Like, but I do think like 
a lot of the good in the world comes from religion, even though a lot of the bad does too. Yeah. So I've always kind of felt, and I went to Catholic school, so who knows what kind of fucking baggage I have. Yeah. But I do feel kind of uh, like I was feeling like, like I was like, uh, I don't know, like just floating through the world. And I was like, I need, I need something, some spirituality in my life. Yeah. So I got into Buddhism. Very cool. All right. So thank you guys so much for listening and listen to Will's podcast. Hypothetically with Will Noonan. Perfect. Guys, thanks so much. All right, bye. Bye.